0: Welcome back to Aquarium Drunkard's Transmissions. I'm Jason P. Woodbury. I edit Aquarium Drunkard and each week I bring you a conversation with an artist whose work helps me think about the world in a bigger way. My guest this week is Jerry Williams Jr. but if you're familiar with cult figures you probably know him best as Swamp Dog. Since 1954 Jerry has lived as a true record man writing songs, producing artists, self-releasing music, and putting out major label albums that have flopped, but have gone on to achieve lost classic status. He's always walked the line between R&B and country, making a joke of the music industry's intentional segregating of white and black audiences. He's been sampled by everyone. The country pop classic, Don't Take Her, She's All I've Got, he co-wrote it. The line where Jerry ends and Swamp Dog begins is transitory. Jerry talks about Swamp Dog as a kind of outlandish avatar who allowed him to satirically tackle societal mores. His provocative jokes about civil rights and politics earned him hangs with Jane Fonda and the anti-war crowd, and put him afoul of J. Edgar Hoover and the Nixon administration. These days he puts out records on Joyful Noise. His latest is called Sorry You Couldn't Make It, and it pairs him with producer Ryan Olson, Jenny Lewis, and the late John Prine, who sings Memories, and the beautiful Please Let Me Go Round Again with Swamp. Over the years, he's embraced autotune, twang, and ambient flourishes. He's a world-class adapter, a weirdo hero who refuses to yield to expectations, sometimes even at the expense of good taste. But remember, it's never Jerry doing the offending, it's always Swamp Duck. So consider that a continent warning. Thanks for listening to Transmissions. If you like the show, please share. Hey, hey there. Hey, Jason. That's that's me. Swamp dog. How you doing? I'm doing good. That answers my first question I was going to ask. Uh, what you like to be called during interviews, and I guess Swamp Dog is the uh, the answer.
1: Yeah, I guess so. I've said it so much, that's what just pops right out of my mouth.
0: Well, so how are you hanging in there? Are you, are you keeping safe?
1: Yeah, I think so. Uh, with, with, with this virus thing going around, you don't know if you're keeping safe until you start coughing and doing all of the other things that goes along with it
0: that's true yeah Yeah. it's hard to know
1: yeah it's like a surprise disease like that (laughs) jumps out the fucking closet at you and i shouldn't have said that should i
0: (laughs) no it's okay you can you can swear on this podcast if you want (laughs) well thank you for thank you for joining us uh here on transmissions it's uh it's great to it's great to speak with you. I listened to an interview that you did with NPR earlier this year. Uh, it was a really good right. talk, and you said you wanted to spend a lot of this year on the road. But I don't suppose that has been able to happen. Uh, has that no. been a drag for you?
1: Uh, is that a, has that been a drag for me? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I've replaced it with. Uh, what I consider secondary, Swamp Dog. Usually, uh, I guess around 1980, Swamp Dog became my secondary, and my um, writing and producing of other people was my what I would consider my mainstay. But yeah. um, Swamp Dog has so much to say and so much music in him that he wants to get out that he's the main thing now and just as soon as Swamp Dog started getting out there we come up with this epidemic Yeah. Um. but yeah that's, that's a drag because yeah. we had lots of gigs and the other part I don't even want to use drag the other part that hurts so is that John Bryan passed away. Yeah. John and I had planned to do several things together, including writing some songs over at his house in Ireland. And I've been wanting to go to Ireland anyway, not particularly just to uh, just to see it, you know. I don't know how old you are, but he used to have commercials on television uh, with the rolling in the hills and I think it was Rolling Rock Bill, somebody that would show that all the time. Yeah. But anyway, it make you want to go. All the grass was green, and everything looked so wonderful. Uh, so that 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 was the first uh, thing uh, that happened. That after this pandemic. Yeah. That let me know that, hey, dreams can't always come true. Yeah. But they can be, yeah, they can be put on hold.
2: That's true. And
1: there, are, and there are things that we sometimes we think would never ever happen, right down to your getting out your car, walking into the house, and I know my wife ain't cook nothing tonight, and walk in and she's got a spread for you everything you like
0: you know so surprise you never yeah sometimes surprises aren't bad it all depends right well when oh i'm sorry i don't mean to cut you off
1: no you can cut me off cut (laughs) me off anytime
0: (laughs) back when we first we first spoke uh, uh a few years ago in 2013 for aquarium drunkard um and you had just reissued a couple of your early 70s records but you told me back then that you'd always wanted to release a country music record. Um, right. Did finishing Sorry You Couldn't Make It finally scratch that itch? Did you finally get the country record that you wanted to, to put out into the world?
1: Uh, yeah. That's the start. Yeah. Yeah. I want to do, do more, and uh, I'm planning on doing something else also that just might... Uh, Play havoc on my career, but uh not only am I gonna do more country music I mean I got a lot of country music I wanna do and but I still plan to do my standard thing on with swamp dog yeah on on a different album each time, so I'm planning on dropping like two albums a year, maybe. One country and one whatever swamp dog is supposed to be. I've been waiting for somebody to really describe him, so I know what the hell he was myself, <laughs> but nobody and nobody they keep calling it all kind of idiosyncratic soul. I don't know what that's about yeah so <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: but that's that's what they're calling swamp dog, but uh. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna do much more country. I got some great songs already. Got some great album titles. And it's just a matter of sit down, working with them, and then um, I'm. I'm gonna call Ryan, and Justin, and see how they feel about what I got laid out, and see if they're gonna get involved with it again. You know.
0: Yeah. You've been working with those guys for a little while now. Um the last two records. Did uh you know, do you do you do you enjoy what they bring to the table? Does it has working yeah. with them shaken you up it, a little bit? Has it shaken me up? In terms of your creative routine, you know? I mean the thing about no. the music you make is that it's always pretty shaken up, I guess, but
1: uh <laughs> No, it it's it. It doesn't, because, you know, when when you decide to turn yourself over completely, it's like joining the army. You know, you don't wake up the next morning and say, shit, I'm not getting up at no five o'clock, you know? No, 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 no. You just made a commitment. Right. Everybody's getting up at five o'clock, especially you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because you're a slowpoke anyway. So... No, to uh, all I do, I lay it down one time in my studio. They uh, ain't gonna say one time. I lay it until so, I'm satisfied. Yeah. Then once I'm satisfied, I send it to them and see how, if how dissatisfied they are, <laughs> and uh, and let them fix it from their own. And I don't consider myself the producer of the album. Yeah. You know, I just, you know, the songs. I I even let them go through my songs. To uh, there's a couple songs I wanted to do, uh, but they didn't like them for this album. Uh, so it was all right yeah. because I. Given the reins to them,
2: right, right,
1: and uh, and I love what they did, and I know what they were trying to do. So I think we're gonna hit it right on the head next time around if we can have the same collaboration.
0: You worked in the music industry, you know. You've been in the music industry for a long time. Uh, In that same interview that I alluded to earlier, you told me that. When you were working for Mercury Records, you pitched them a country album. Uh when when about was that? Now, I wasn't working for uh Mercury. I was in
1: Nashville uh just around the time that um I, I had Gary Bonds and I had been um, uh, n- uh nominated for uh country grammy and um
2: i had cut this uh i
1: had i had cut a lot of stuff I had cut i cut a country album on a boy named bo terrell i think he had one single out and that was it and in when i finished with him i had done something that my wife had been telling me for a hundred years jerry stop taking people in the studio and spending money and cutting them without some sort of agreement you you know sure and written agreement and and i get carried away and i still do it sometimes And, you know, because, you know, you get to be friends and everything is everything, and then you get right down to it. And they said, well, no, man, you know, I got to see my lawyer. I "I thought you'd seen your lawyer, you know. I (laughs) thought we were cool. (laughs)
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, But what had happened, I cut this whole album. Man, some great songs on that album. And um, I played that for them. And... uh, it took one, he took one song off of that for the the Memories
0: album. You obviously your work has crossed over into country music. Uh, you talked about Gary Bonds, and you know you wrote "Don't Take Her, She's All I Got" with that, which Johnny Pay cut or Johnny paycheck cut rather. You know, so, so right. clearly that that country and western influence has been a long uh has long been part of your musical sort of DNA. Um yeah. I guess let me, I... let me let me
1: interrupt you because now I can answer your question. It just came back to me. Yeah. But first of all, I never worked for Mercury. Right. Uh I just happened to be in Nashville uh since okay, for a minute I was one of the hottest writers in Nashville. So During that minute, you're supposed to try to take advantage of that entire minute and see everybody, you know, like, you see, Jerry Williams is out there. And, hey, it's, oh, bring him in, you know. People want to meet you even if they really don't care that much about you. Uh, But they want to meet the guy who wrote the song, you know. So that's what I was doing down there, and I was – Pitching songs, yeah. Pitching. and I was with Bug Music, so therefore I had an office to work out of and all of that. And um, somewhere in there, man, I answered your question.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so this record, you know, it it it. There's obviously a lot of country in this record, and uh, you know, it reminds me of people like Johnny Adams or Jim Ford or. Even some of the stuff Mavis Staples have done, those rootsy records, you know, of the last couple right. decades, people that she's made with Jeff Tweedy and M. M. War, uh, you know, soul and R and B and country, they get put in different places in the record store, but they all grew out of the same sort of thing. And I wonder, I if, as a songwriter and as an you know as a, as a record man, someone who's 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 worked in the industry, you know, uh, do you think you were especially good at hearing songs and? And the style being a little bit secondary, you know, that the song is the key thing, and you can dress it up as a country song or an R&B song or a gospel song. Do you feel like, you know, good songs have that adaptability?
1: I'd put it exactly that way. Yeah. Because I can hear a song and uh somebody might bring it to me as a R&B song and I say, Hey man, this thing here pop in the latin community and we go from there you know i mean i got a latin album that i did on the girl can't even think of a name the album didn't sell no way (laughs) but it was (laughs) it was a good album
0: too well on this new record you you sing that a good song doesn't care who sings it and i thought that that probably had a lot to do with um with the way that you think of all this stuff growing up did you hear all that stuff, you know, growing up country and soul and R&B and blues? Did it all sort of come to you, you know, yeah, at the same time? They
1: didn't have soul. They, they didn't have soul music then when I was growing up. Right. Uh we've we've had a whole lot of uh titles um on on songs just like uh, you know, we've had a lot of you know, I, I I like like with me, I've I've been I've been a black, I don't even know what I am right now. You know, I've been black, I've been Afro American, I've been colored, I've been Negro, uh, I've been a whole bunch of things. I don't know what I supposed to identify, uh, you know, except you know, I just scratch none of the above, you know, uh, because I don't know.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Well, uh, here we go again.
0: But did, the, <laughs> yeah, but did I guess what I'm asking was, did you hear all that stuff? You know, uh, you know, was the radio playing uh, where, when you were growing up? Were you hearing yeah. country and blues and everything sort of all at the same time?
1: I was. Yeah, I was hearing more country. Yeah, than anything else. There was the big job down that way because at that time, Norfolk, Virginia, was uh, uh a major a major player he still may be a major player in uh in country music but it, it was a major player in all types of music yeah uh the uh, only thing black jocks played black records starting at midnight from midnight to six in the morning and then all of a sudden we started getting uh my man out of Nashville that John R, him and Horse Allen. So we started listening earlier uh during the night and uh between that between their music and and country music we heard a lot. There that, uh, that wasn't that much. There wasn't any emphasis put on it because people, my people were coming in the house with the new Glenn Miller record, you know.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: the, uh, well, I don't know when he disappeared. He disappeared, it disappeared around, his plane disappeared somewhere around 49. But I was, I remember all those things. Uh, the uh there was just as much Ben Crosby in my house as it was in a white person's house.
2: Sure. Yeah. You know? Uh
1: everybody loved Ben Crosby. And so there was everything there, man. Everything. And I heard it, and I soaked it up, and I loved it. And that was, I mean, my favorite, I mean, which is, you know, is obvious to lots of people because he was their favorite, is Hank Williams. Yeah. And I just thought Hank Williams was the greatest in the world. Now, they they say that... uh, and I agree that Otis Redden uh could beg better than anybody in the world. Right. You know. Right. But uh but he he was just as good in begging, but he didn't outbig Hank Williams. Yeah. I mean, Hank just make you wanna open a bottle of something that's a hundred proof and just drink it all, you know.
0: That's the feeling. That's the feeling that this new Swamp Dog record gives me. There's a lot of sad songs on this. There's a lot of heartbreakers.
1: Yeah, well, that's what country music is. Yeah, it's a, it's a story. It's, it's little vignettes, you know, if if there's such a thing in songs, uh, of what's going on in your life, or what's going on in somebody else's life that. You're close enough to know some details,
0: right? Yeah, you. To go back to that that country record that 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 you got pitched to Mercury when when we spoke in 2013, you said that they didn't want it because you were black. You were talking about how in your home th- there wasn't really any color line. You 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 liked records from all sorts of people, white or black. Um, right. But, but did you feel like at one point or another over the course of your career? Uh people thought maybe you didn't make sense as a country artist because of your race or or you know, did that ever happen, you think? No. Because
1: if you listen to my songs or my records, I haven't changed the way I present a song. Sure. You know, I I still sing the same way. Uh I still use the same Basic chords, and um, there's there's really no difference. The difference comes in my music is when we add uh, when we add the music. Yeah. You know, uh, a lot of times we'll keep things open. We'll say, okay, right in here, we're gonna drop a steel guitar. So we would leave maybe that section open so the steel guitar could do what we imagined at that time. But uh, all my records, I basically just cut them straight. The only only difference, not the only difference either, but one of the differences in uh, Sorry You Couldn't Make It um, is the fact that Swamp Dog don't scream.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Swamp Dog don't don't come on hard. Swamp Dog just sings the song.
2: Yeah, yeah. You
1: know, and um, not, you know, John Brown and I was on the same level. So neither one of us were trying to outsing the other, you know, that kind of thing. And it, it it was just I made sure that I kept my voice under control because I do have a tendency to a tendency to start feeling a groove and feeling feeling the message and I get kind of carried away yeah and that's when. I find myself running around in a pot of rhythm and blues, you know. Right. But uh so I had I, I had to keep myself laid back, but I liked it. You know, I I didn't know I would like it that much. Um the album that I had for Mercury was similar to that. It was I I wrote all of the songs on it. Um and they were gonna take it. Uh, Steve Popovich, he fought for it. Yeah. But uh, everybody over there at that moment, well, was Elvira crazy, you know? And Mercury hadn't had a biggie in a moment. Yeah. And they had Elvira, and they really ain't had time. To try to help cement race relations, you know, <laughs> in the music business, and I understood that
0: they weren't so. Yeah, they, they weren't. They were focused on trying to get a hit. They weren't necessarily, uh, yeah, right. They didn't want to take a chance.
1: Uh, well, yeah, yeah. Steve Popovich wanted to take a chance, but they, they, uh they voted him down yeah you know yeah. now steve we gotta do this it was left open for me it wasn't like a get out of here don't you ever come back type thing yeah. it was like
2: get out of here and when we get ready you can we'll discuss
0: this further you mentioned but y- sorry, you mentioned John Prine a few minutes ago and you worked with him on this new record, you know, Memories and, uh, Please Let Me Go Around Again. Uh, yeah. John Prine is, I mean, obviously the loss of him is, is tremendous, but, um, I wonder if you could tell me what, what kind of relationship you had with, with John.
2: It was,
1: it was casual at best. Yeah. Um, We did not have a brotherhood going on. What we had was high respect for each other's work. And one of the greatest songs I ever heard in my life was Sam Stone. And that's the song that has kept. Any live performances of mine going?
0: Yeah, you uh, love, you, you covered people, it way back in the or in the early seventies, even.
1: Yeah, yeah, on Cream, yeah records, and I mean, man, soldiers be out there crying, and and, and I mean, it's like, and I, I usually go through the audience and talk and shake hands and all that. I mean. Sam Stone turns out to be almost uh, a 20-minute affair. Yeah. Uh, or more. And, you know, I give my feelings about that war. And most everybody out there agrees with me. So we're all on the same note. And, uh, but... I've i heard a lot of John stuff and he he just he he was great. He yeah. he was a poet. Yeah. He, he was um he had some great things to say and he would use a lot of uh let me see now, if I'm using the right word, if I say euphemisms. Sure. Uh to describe a particular place, or thing, or person, you know, you might have to keep listening to, oh, that's what he meant, you know. Yeah. Because um, I had to call him and find out what little pictures, little pictures have big ears. Yeah. You know, I thought I'd do, but I wasn't sure. Yeah, and I didn't need anyone to ask me, and all of a sudden, I couldn't tell him. Right, and then they said, he don't even know what he's singing about, you know. <laughs> and I didn't know what I just, I I loved the line, line, poetic as hell, but I didn't know what it was yeah
0: Yeah. so well please let me go around again is is really just such an incredible song you know that's a real beautiful one and i i think that following his passing you know i think that song gave people a lot of comfort you know certainly i i guess i should only speak for myself gave me a lot of comfort i really like listening to that one
1: Mhm. that was my wife yvonne that was her favorite song, of all the songs I've written then, and I've written a bunch of them mm-hmm. but for some reason and she tried, I mean I sometimes she said, you know uh, make me a cassette that, that, that please let me go around again I want to try to get it to blah 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 blah, somebody and Willie Nelson is who she wanted to have it
0: yeah that would have been good.
1: And yeah, and we went so far as to uh, get on Willie's bus one night and uh after one of his shows uh out here at the Hollywood Bowl and uh gave him a cassette and everything and told him about it and he said, Yeah, listen to it and um you know, but it could have gotten lost I'm not going to say he didn't listen to it I do believe if I was going to bet on it I would say yeah he listened to it but it more likely got mixed up in the shuffle Sure. and and he might have had some other things that was even better and it comes across different if I play you the one I did as a demo and then you play the one that john and i did against it you would have different feelings because i know i do
2: yeah you know
1: yeah. i i you know it, it, the way john was saying that one line please let me go around again and and we got we were you know that The dialogue that we were doing on the end of the song was not planned. Hmm. You know? Matter of fact, we you know, we were just gonna keep on singing, please let me go around again. But we started talking and it was a thing where we both Really, truly, wanted to go round again,
2: yeah, yeah,
1: and uh, especially since neither one of us had been full circle, you know we would, we would like to have completed the circle and 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 maybe go around again, you know, but we hadn't gone totally around,
2: yeah, yeah, for
1: the first time, so uh. He was the next uh, best person in the world to do it, and I, I got some songs that would make you shoot yourself. And we were going to <laughs>
0: cut them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You got you got some pretty dark, some pretty sad ones. Some, some
1: real... oh, are they dark? Are they dark? I mean, they make yeah, they make uh, uh, they make rhythm and blues and
0: soul seem like. Johnny Cash. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Creators, are you tired of being paid in likes and clicks? Social media and streaming platforms help people find your work, but getting you paid is another story. With Patreon, you can stop rolling the dice of ad revenue and per-stream payouts, and grow your creative career through the direct support of the people who care most, your fans. Since Patreon is built for creators, not advertisers, you'll skip the middleman and develop a sustainable income source by offering a recurring membership to your fans. In turn, they'll get access to exclusive community, premium content, and the chance to become active participants in the work they love. The creative system is broken. So if you're a podcaster, video maker, musician, writer, illustrator, a creative person of any kind, sign up on Patreon, now that's dot com, and change the way your creativity is valued by building the steady income stream you deserve now let's get back to more aquarium drunkard transmissions you know your last record the one before this love loss and auto tune that was a pretty different sounding record for you um yeah a lot of electronic elements vocal treatments you know and this one is experimental, too, in its own way, you know. But that yeah. one was really far out. Did you yeah. did, did you like making that one? Did you like making Love, Loss, and Auto-Tune?
1: First, I would ask you, what did you think of it?
0: I liked it. It was really cool. It was weird. It kind of had this, like, futuristic soul thing happening. It kind of reminded me of, like, you know, Zap and Roger in some ways. But then... Yeah. But with this weird, uh rootsy... Thing to it just it didn't sound like anything i'd ever heard to be honest
1: yeah <laughs> that's the
0: way it hit me yeah um uh,
1: but um i would do another one
2: yeah like
1: yeah. that um I, I think people were real surprised and the the few fans that i have and and uh, they had to adjust to it, uh, but like I said, I'd do it again. Yeah. I I liked again. I liked what uh, uh, Justin and uh, Ryan
0: did. Your your records, you know, they've been sampled by all sorts of folks. You know, Fifty Cent, Kid Rock, Talib Kweli, you know. <laughs> Yeah. It, it, last year, a collection of remixes of your songs was released, uh, "Refried Remixes for the 21st Century," and I then, know it. and then there are I all these. Ho- Wait, what'd you think of that? I thought it was horrible. <laughs> you thought it was horrible. <laughs> yeah. Just you didn't like the you didn't like the remixes.
1: No, because they weren't really true remixes, as far as I was concerned, and um. Uh... I know the person who did you know I know the company and everything and I gave them my okay yeah and so wasn't too much to say
0: but it wasn't it didn't turn out to your liking
1: no it didn't turn out the way I thought it was going to turn out I thought they were going to put more work into it they just wanted to get as much mileage out of the the name Swamp Dog
2: right right uh,
1: and and move on to something else because I don't know how many records he did put out in twelve months time
0: yeah well there were a bunch uh, of dub uh, there was a bunch of dub records as well you know dub remixes yeah. did you like those right. any better? Um,
1: uh, about. Yeah, about two things I heard that I was really crazy about. And um, one might have been Synthetic World, but Mm. it's really hard to fuck up Synthetic World. (laughs) Uh, It's uh, because of the way I laid it out. And uh, going all the way back, Jimmy Cliff had a hit in the islands with it. On Beverly Records, um, back at the time, uh, I put it
0: out. Your your work has been, uh, you know, people it, to, going back to that thing that we talked about. A good song doesn't care who sings it, you know. Your records, your songs have worked as country records. They've worked as R and B records. They've worked as blues records. They've worked as reggae records. You know, I guess right. They, right. I don't know if there's been any heavy metal covers just yet, but I could see somebody doing a, a pretty uh, heavy metal version of Total Destruction to Your Mind or something like that. So so maybe there's time. And
1: I'm going to tell you who's got a version of Total Destruction to Your Mind that will blow your mind. And I wish mine was as good. The Isley Brothers and Santana.
0: Yeah, that record surprised me. From 2017 or so? <coughs> yeah. Boy. That was a cool thing for them to do. Yeah, they they they, I, I, they destroyed it.
1: Yeah, I know it. But I don't know what they had planned to do. Because no, they really didn't do anything with it. They just... Uh, not to my knowledge. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The roster statements don't reflect anything phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. And... Uh, but they did it. Yeah. I loved, I loved it. uh whoever was singing for Santana is about a bad mama. You yeah. know, what I mean he's like fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And uh a matter of fact I like this vocal better than I did the Eisler Brothers, although the Eisler Brothers held their own and that's one of my favorite groups too. So it, it it's uh, it's hard for me to like something better than to ask the Asgard Brothers.
0: Yeah. You spent a lot of time, you know, we've talked about this a little bit, you know, you've had your production company and you've done all sorts of stuff. You know, so you spent a lot of time being the the guy in charge of Swamp Dog, along with your late manager and, and wife, Yvonne. But um for the last decade, you know, you've been working with Alive Records and Joyful Noise. When you moved back to working with a label, you know, did those years that you spent really being in charge of everything yourself, did they instill sort of a a DIY mentality? Did you did you have to insist when you went to the labels that they gave you creative control?
1: I didn't have to insist. I just told them I had to have creative control. Yeah, and and that was for the album covers and. Every everything, the but I didn't I didn't tell the uh, the company in Florida I forgot that name one that got out that cooking <laughs> swamp dog or whatever the hell it is. <laughs> um, I didn't tell them anything.
2: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. You know, I said, hey, you know, do what you want, do what you feel, and um, but usually. I, I keep complete creative control, especially of the album cover. Yeah.
0: Well, let's go back to the beginning a little bit of your career. You 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 got your start as little Jerry Williams, and I, I want to talk about every time you've said Swamp Dog, or at least most of them, you've used the third person. You know, Swamp Dog is a character that you created uh, and a persona, so I wanted to know... You know what led you to creating the swamp dog character what did he uh why did you need to come up with him in order to kind of make the records that you wanted to make
1: I've always been the type of artist that was uh was trying, was trying to sing what was popular the the type of music that was popular, so I had thrown myself uh in a out of category not in it, I never did make it in it really, but
0: after a while, you know you'd had some hits, you'd had some some you'd got some traction but but by the time nineteen seventy rolls around, you decide it's time to yeah. to rebrand um
1: yeah, exactly I tried everything
0: did you think no one yeah. would get confused about you know what kind of music Swamp Dog was going to bring them?
1: No, I didn't. Yeah, maybe if I had a thought along those lines, I would have had more hits.
2: <laughs> but
1: but I didn't. I just I, I just did what I felt.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how'd you come and, up with the name Swamp Dog?
1: I was kind of mixed up uh, mentally, and uh, uh, and I. I, I it seemed like I just couldn't make any real decisions, hmm. uh, and 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 stick to them. It was almost, uh, it was like I needed a manager. So I appointed Swamp Dog as my manager. Swamp Dog could talk to anybody, everybody about anything. Them out if they needed to be with Jerry Williams would definitely hold his tongue and uh i became first when i i cut the first two songs um, on that album as a single as a matter of fact i had i didn't even cut them for myself if i if i die tomorrow I live tonight and um can't think of the other song but if you listen closely to that song, uh, you will hear a girl's voice in the background leaking through. Um, and that's because I was actually cutting the record on a girl named Joanne Bunn out of Macon, Georgia. And I was doing it for the biggest jock down that way named Hamp Swain. And um Hamp asked me to cut her. So says Hamp could put on a record and pop it wide open all over uh, Georgia and other parts of the South. Of course I said yes. So uh, I went in the studio, went the Capricorn and recorded her. And then when I left, I was coming back. Um, the girl was only about 14 years old. Sing, I asked her. She had decided that she wanted to be a mother. So she got pregnant. And she didn't want to sing no more. And I I would buy a house and talk to her. and But I didn't have much to add. Because I hadn't really seen that much of life myself all my life was about running in and out of recording studios and, 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 and and, and record companies. Yeah. So, uh, and I don't, I don't think about it. Hap couldn't talk to her and he'd known her since she was born. So there's no way I could, I could have been of any, use, I guess, in trying to make us sing. So anyway, uh, I came to California with two songs. If I, if I die tomorrow, I live tonight, and I wish I was looking at the album, but I can't, there's, it's two songs. Yeah. And everybody liked them. They, they liked them.
2: Yeah.
1: And, um, uh, So, well, who's doing it? I didn't want to say Jerry Williams because I felt like I'd had too many crashes as Jerry Williams, little Jerry Williams, and all that. Yeah, plus I had had that baby you and my everything. That was the biggest thing I ever had as as Jerry Williams. And um, that went up to number one. Cal Rudman, if you ever heard of him, he. he was like the big man and um uh, he reported that we had done thirty thousand the first week and all that. And I think I had because I was hooked up with some with some gangsters. I was with Marge Levy and Nate McCallum. and there was uh I'm not gonna lose my point. There's a, <laughs> there was a thing where like uh uh this jock, uh, Rocky G, was suppo- at WWRL, was supposed to be playing my record. And Nate McCallum didn't hear it at the time that he was supposed to hear it. And he went over there, and, and next thing you know, you heard my record. I mean, he just walked in snatched the record. You could hear this on the radio. He snatched the record off the turntable that he was playing, put my record on. Which was on his label, Calla, And it played. Record went to number one in uh, New York, a whole bunch of places. As a matter of fact, uh, I was on tour with the Marvelettes and Lord Praise. I did 10 Days at the Apollo with Solomon Burke, Inez Fox and I did Charlie Fox and all that kind of stuff. I they had me to uh uh I was touring with Jackie Wilson, opening for Jackie. And let me tell you this right quick, the guy I was I played the Brooklyn Brooklyn Brevoid. It was just Jackie Wilson, somebody else and me. And uh Jackie Wilson didn't show up for one of the shows. Now, Jackie was the kind of act, I don't know if you ever saw him or what you know about, but he was the kind of guy that when he walked out on stage, women not uh, through their bra, panties, slips, skirts, everything at him. I mean, all of their clothes, it was almost like people, the women were sitting out in, in in the audience naked, but they had, he, he just, he brought that kind of thing out of there. Yeah. And that night that he didn't show up, the, the uh, it was like one of those old Mickey Rooney things. Uh, the, uh, the theater owner came to me and said, hey, this is your shot. I said, what? He said, you going on and place the jacket. I said, because he can't make it. He didn't show. Uh, man, you got to be crazy. Ain't no way in the world you gonna pay me to go up there. And they going to give me more money. I think it was gonna give me like five hundred more dollars. I think I was making like fifteen hundred a night for two nights. And I think they was gonna add another five hundred on to it. Ah uh, man, it ain't worth it. You know, I I you know, it's like a guy giving you well. I don't even have to go through that I just would not do it but I knew Tommy Hunt so uh, they said well you know Tommy can you get him I said I'll try so I got on the train and went up to Tommy's place and talked him into coming down and playing a show so he did. He, he played the show. And everybody was happy. But um I wasn't about to go on. You know, women out there, uh, you know, the, the people waiting for Jesus and the devil shows up,
2: you know? <laughs> right. That, right. That, right.
1: I ain't going to work. I ain't going to work. <laughs> you know, the devil would catch hell.
2: Right. So, right. Right.
1: So, so anyway, that's
0: yeah. So you um, you had you had this long you had this long career, you know, and you you tried all these things. You mentioned that that Swamp Dog almost acted as your manager. He could he could swear he could swear at people. He could do stuff where Jerry would hold his tongue. Did right? Did that extend to uh, the creative side of things too? Did becoming yeah. Swamp Dog free yeah. you up to 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 try whatever you wanted?
1: Yeah, I because I, I would cut something, and if somebody didn't like it, I'd tell them, "Hey, man, kiss my ass! I don't care." I <laughs> exactly. Like
0: it, exactly. Know?
1: And and what was happening? I was making deals.
2: Yeah, it was working.
1: Record record companies were buying my masters. Like, hey. Uh, they even uh, reactivated a the label. They reactivated Tower
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: for me at Capital. They weren't sure. So we don't know what this guy's got, but I think he got something. So let's put three dollars and see if we find out. You know? Yeah. So well, those that—that's how that went.
0: Those early records, they're they're very funny and they're outlandish, you know, the early Swamp Dog records. Um, Yeah. And you got a lot of hard luck songs and a lot of cheating songs. But, um, you know, you also wrote really uh, interesting political and social material too, you know, songs like Do You Believe and uh, God Bless America for What, you know? Um, Yeah. And that's continued on. You've written about political issues on – Two thousand fourteen's the white man made me do it. You leaned into that side, um, right? At first, that 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 sort of stuff. In addition to the uh, you know y- your past, you know that ended up getting you on J. Edgar Hoover's watch list. Uh, yeah, some of that material. Did you ever have a suspicion that your phone lines were tapped? Oh yeah. You could tell.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You hear little clicks and all that stuff.
1: Yeah, because they didn't have their shit uh uh together
0: right you know <laughs> right right so did it scare you, you? you uh, huh did it scare you no no,
1: not because I didn't know what to be afraid of uh
0: sure. i didn't there was
1: there was nothing it's like okay, you're being you being recorded. I knew better than to say certain things. But then at one point my head got so big that I thought I was on the same level as the president. You know, I swamp dog like really went out there. I I had uh I had a little over a million dollars in the bank, which in those today that you know, you are doing, million dollars. You're doing I'm, I'm pretty sure, good. I'm about $15 million, yeah. $20 million. Yeah, you're doing and, good. Uh, yeah, I bought a, 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 a fucking 8,000 square foot mansion on, in West Hempstead, Long Island for $45,000. You know?
0: Yeah. God yeah. damn. Yeah.
1: Everybody wanted to come out and see it.
0: You had a royal uh, house. You had a rolls house, too, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. That was um a 60, uh 69 and a uh Yeah. Uh right before the seventies. And uh, yeah, so I had I had nine automobiles. I oh I went crazy. That swamp, <laughs> swamp dog
0: was silly nigga, man. He really was <laughs> he <whoo. laughs> You you uh well, well well, I guess what I what I'm curious is, you know, right now obviously there's a lot of things happening in the world. And 2020 feels like a like a year where nobody's sure what might happen next. And it sort of feels right. like anything could happen, you know? Um Right. And I'm curious, do you have any advice for artists who want to write about what's happening right now? You know, uh anything you learned from from your your time as, you know, uh I guess riding with Swamp Dog at the at the wheel in terms of addressing the political issues of the day. Do you have any advice for people who want to talk about what's happening?
1: Not trying to be funny, but until I discovered last night or night before last, I might have had some advice until I found out that uh, my man was going to run for president uh, as... The birthday party. Oh,
2: Kanye um, West?
1: Yeah. Up until up until Kanye West, well, right before that, before, when he went up and he hugged uh, Trump and said Trump was his daddy, and now he's getting ready to run for president, and he, you know he has the wherewithal to do it. Yeah. I mean, he can do it. They got the money, they got, and that's all it takes to get in the White House. It's plenty of money and people who want some of your money that will get you in there. So, uh, I don't know. You, you asked me if I had any advice.
0: Yeah, so, for songwriters, for people who want to write about what's happening now. Uh, mm, tell them
1: just do it you know don't don't hold back but there's you're gonna have limited outlets
2: yeah yeah
1: you know you can go you can go and make your little old uh, sit on the side of the bed and play it and call it a a video put it on youtube yeah and yeah and uh, that type of thing but um, you know like you you know, you ain't going to you know, I don't, I don't, I don't think you're going to make an impact. I, I think stuff that's pure and fresh has more appeal today Yeah. because we got too many woes. I mean, all of a sudden, you know, you hear, you hear something on the radio and you can't even get it. Yeah. Even if we didn't have a, a a pandemic, you know, uh there's nowhere to go get it. You know, and during this pandemic, definitely nowhere to go get it. At least you could get the top thirty, you know, at Target or something. But sure. uh sure. you you can you can't even do that.
0: So you so you're saying your advice is speak your mind but be prepared for maybe no one to hear it? Yeah. 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 Well, well thankfully, and thankfully, I'm, yeah, thankfully, people have been able to hear this new record, though. And, uh, and Swamp, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me about it. Yeah,
1: I, I uh, I think you're crazy to talk to me this long.
0: <laughs> no, I love uh, it. It's you, so much fun. you
1: going to lose your job. <laughs> but, anyway. <laughs> uh, well. But that's another thing. You know, we can start run a funding thing for you.
0: Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you can get a so GoFundMe uh, going for me because I lost my job because Swamp Dog yeah. talked to me too long.
1: A good song. Don't care it.
0: Swamp Dog, the one and only. Thanks so much for listening to Transmissions. I'm Jason P. Woodbury. I write and produce the show. This week's episode was recorded by myself and Michael Krasner, and our interview was engineered and edited by the great Andrew Horton. Justin Gage is our executive producer. You can find the show wherever you get podcasts, so be sure to share it. We're even on YouTube now, thanks to our new video producer, Jonathan Mark Walls. Want to plug Radio Free Aquarium Drunkard, which is coming up this Sunday on DubLab, September 20th from 4 to 8 p.m. Pacific you can tune in to hear my show, Ranger Basin, Tyler Wilcox's Doom and Gloom from the Tomb, and Marty Sartini-Garner's personal sketch. Does Aquarium Drunkard make your listening life better? If so, you can support us by heading over to Patreon. Independent media isn't the easiest thing to keep going in these strange days, but with your support, you can help us continue making our podcasts, mixtapes, radio shows, audiovisual presentations, interviews, features, and more. Tune into the Aquarium Drunkard Show, hosted by The Man, The Myth, The Mensch, Justin Gage, one of my favorite people, who hosts one of my favorite radio shows each Wednesday night over on Sirius XMU Channel 35. 7 p.m. California time, every Wednesday night. We'll be back next week with another Weird Talk for the Weird Times. Until then, stay safe.